There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. that we've had and the games that we've put forth. We've had an interesting week as a country, and anytime people are talking about politics, you know things are going bad. No, nobody wants to talk about politics. That's the most boring thing in the world. Make all of us angry. Make all of us horrible people. And look at what we're doing. We're screwing up. We're screwing up on the field. We're screwing up as a country. Let's get it together. But let's start by getting it together for the show. It's going to be a fun show tonight uh, here for Tertial Radio. As always, I, I segued kind of poorly there. It's your boy, 3K, Joe McAtee running the ship, but helping me out tonight at some point will be the head honcho, the man of the hour, the 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 Dutchman wearing the cut crown of the shutdown, Ryan Van Bibber. He'll be on uh, later this evening. Uh, we're also going to have helping to preview the show uh, going down in St. Louis on Sunday from Big Cat Country, the SB Nation community for fans of the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's Adam Stites. He'll be on to talk about the Jaguars. Look, uh, those are two teams that don't have a lot going on in a positive sense right now, so it's going to be fun when Adam comes on. And then uh, helping us out with some fantasy stuff. Big guest this week, Jamie Eisenberg. Um, CBS Sports, for those of you guys that watch Breaking Bad, you saw him die at the end of the show uh, this week. So it's going to be interesting to see what's happened to him since he was killed in his lap lab. It's going to be fun to catch up with Eisenberg. That's Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports. Uh, for fantasy stuff, mid-hour. That was a joke about Heisenberg, for those of y'all that don't want to break in bad. Sorry. I guess you won't get the jokes tonight, because we're going all shut down and breaking bad tonight for Tertial Radio. Uh, feel free to call us in at any point during the show. If you guys want to get on, we are always caller-friendly, as we were last week. The number is 347-857-1022. That's 347-857-1022. Republican line, uh, Johnny from Missouri. No, we're not C-SPAN. This isn't a uh, – we're not going to identify if you don't want to be identified, but we're happy to have you on. And obviously, if you're from Tertial Times, please let us know. We had a couple of good callers last week. We had Freewheeler 2. We had 
Mark uh, AZ Cats joined us, and I'm forgetting someone, and I apologize for for the anonymous Tertio timer. He who shall not be named. Um, I forget who it was. It wasn't no. It wasn't Brandon. I forget. But that's good. That's good that we have enough of a base at Tertio Time to have people call in and uh, provide good calls like that. And I can't even remember. So maybe it's the mess that I stole from Heisenberg. But we have to plug along. So Adam Stites. Jamie Eisenberg for fantasy stuff from CBS Sports, and obviously Ryan Van Bever coming up later in the show. So Thursday happened. Yeah. Um, look, it's difficult to get through a game like that and look ahead to the rest of the season and feel very positive. That's just the reality. And if we're being blunt, the Rams are playing really, 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 really bad football right now. But, you know, you look at – what this team was on paper before the season, the fact that they felt comfortable cutting Joe Lon Dunbar after a suspension, who's now coming back to the team, uh, as we talked about on the site today, uh, you know, signing guys like Jake Long, Jared Cook, drafting a Tavon Austin to help open up the offense, so, uh, supplanting the defense with a guy like Alec Ogletree. You know, they, the, things look good before the season. So I'm not, I'm not of the bandwagon that's suggesting all is lost. I am suggesting that it's looked pretty all is lost the last two weeks, and I think there's no avoiding that. I think if we're if we're looking at the rest of this season and we're saying, okay, well, how do we turn this around? We know that we've got the Jaguars coming to town. Understandably, that's a winnable game. I'm not going to try to pull on the Jags, not just because we got sites coming on, but look, it's not as if San, St. Louis has done all that uh, anything special to this point in the season, despite, you know, pulling out a win against Arizona to open the season and then a, a valiant effort, I guess you could say, in Atlanta. But the last two weeks have been so bad, it's erased any silver linings that you might have had in that loss to Atlanta. So you got Jacksonville coming to town. That's a winnable game. You know, Houston and Carolina on the road, those are susceptible teams. I know it doesn't it doesn't seem that way when you're talking about a St. Louis Rams team going to face them, but those aren't unbeatable teams. And so I think there's a chance to maybe get some things together, put a season in place that isn't as horrible as it looks if we're trying to forecast things after these last two games. But, you know, as it's been said, it's always darkest before the dawn. There are things that could improve. That being said, what has to improve? Well, number one, it's execution. I know it's easier to, to point – at the coaches and say, you guys aren't doing this and you guys aren't doing that. But when you've got the totality of failure that, that the Rams have endured over the last two weeks, the penalties on special teams, the uh, coverage mistakes, the play of guys that are supposed to be the veteran leaders, guys like Cortland Finnegan and Jake Long, when you're talking about a, an offense that is struggling to find any kind of rhythm early in games, despite the fact that it offers a Sam Bradford, a uh, Jared Cook, Tavon Austin, and, and a running back by committee uh, you know, situation that is supposed to provide at least some versatility and the, the capability to throw different looks at defenses to throw them off. Um, so it, it, it's not that – yes, the coaches deserve some blame. I think we all agree with that. I don't think there's a coach – on the staff who wouldn't agree that they've got to do a better job, but the players do too. And they're the ones who play the game and they've been pretty abysmal these last two weeks. So they've got to get it going. Um, and yes, the code, you know, you look at Brian Schottenheimer, the, uh, the offensive game plan these last two games has been, you know, the kind of thing that gets Pat Shermer a little itchy in the britches. It's the kind of thing that makes the casual NFL fan say, well, why aren't they trying this? 
And the problem is, as seasoned NFL fans, we don't really have an answer at this point. It's not as if you go back four years ago and, you know, you're talking about Sherman, it's because they don't have talent. You know, they don't have talent on the roster because they can't do this. You've got Kayvon Austin, Jared Cook, and Chris Givens on this roster. So it's not without talent. you got, you know, on the defensive side, you've got guys like Janoris Jenkins and, you know, the defensive end pairing and Chris Long and Robert Quinn and interior defensive line. And, and overall, a defense that last year looked very successful. Not one of the best in the league, but on its way to being that. And I think there's a fair question to be asked as to what has happened to this defense. Um, and I don't think it's all on the coaches. Sure, I think part of it is. Uh, but I don't think it's fair to look at uh, last year's defense and this year's defense and say, look, it's just on the coaches. It's, uh, uh, it's their fault that this team isn't successful. They bear a share of it, but the players do too. Um, and I guess, you know, if, if there's one last thing moving forward, it's, a, it's kind of one of those intangible things, and it kind of relates to penalties and the fact that as Van and I talked, I think in the last social radio before week one in our final preseason show was that, being the youngest team in the NFL isn't necessarily a good thing. Sure, it offers athleticism and some stamina to be able to play well or, or play to, you know, your potential in the fourth quarter and, you know, the, the tenacity and the hunger that comes with being young and having uh, not achieved a ton at the NFL level, especially for guys like Sam Bradford and Chris Long and James Laurinaitis who have been around now a couple of years and haven't been to the postseason. Um, you know, there, there's some opportunities for them to forge early career legacies and storylines that hasn't borne out. And in fact, it looks like it's getting worse at this point, but there's also a professionalism in terms of getting the work done and putting in work and, and, and avoiding the kind of things that can hurt your team. You know, like Cortland Finnegan picking up, uh, you know, misconduct penalties, um, sportsmanlike conduct penalties and the penalties on special teams that make it that much harder, the offensive penalties for an offense that isn't clicking, you know, if it's hard enough to get 10 yards through three downs, it can be almost impossible to get 20 yards when you're already on second down. So they've got to cut that stuff out. And they, it comes down to the professionalism and the attention to detail that the Rams just haven't shown to this point. They've got to get it turned around if they want to make a season of this. It's possible. It's possible. You know, the Redskins stumbled out of the blocks last year. Arizona came out, went 4-0, and and their season capsized. So, there's an opportunity to turn it around. We're only four games in. We're at the quarter pole, as we talked about on the site. But you've got to reverse course. You've got to do a 180. Um, and let's do a 180 on the show and welcome in an early caller. I'm glad to see somebody on the line. So let's bring him in from the 918. What's going on here on Tertio Radio? Hey. It's uh, Free Hey, what's going on? Who's this? Uh, Free Wheeler 2. Hey, what's up, Wheeler? Good to hear from you again. Hey, who were you, you missing the last week's show? Who was it besides you that uh, had called in? You and Mark called in. It was somebody else. I forget who now. Do you remember? No, no, I sure don't. Sorry about that. Well, that's good. Anything after Thursday, I think we all forgot about it. We were all born on Friday. <laughs> What's going on with you, Will? What's going on, man? Well, I'd like to make a few comments. I, was, I, I, I wasn't able to watch the game because I don't have NFL Network, which Lucky I was you. great. Yeah, uh, but I do have Rewind, and I did watch the game, but I was paying attention to the threads on Sunday. And it seemed the first quarter was going right. And the second quarter, I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, no one saw it, but I, I here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. Three minutes in the second quarter, the Rams are going to lose. I turn off. I stop paying attention to the thread. I watch TV. I uh, 
give it a few hours for the game to be over, and I'm thinking, how much did the Rams lose by? It wasn't how much did they win by. I never assumed they were going to win second quarter in. And so why? Why, why, were you, why were you so confident that as of the second quarter, the game was over? The body language. I saw the body language of not just Sam, but everybody on that team. And I saw no adjustments made by the coach. The coaches are lacking confidence. It's not just that coaches have to execute too. And they're not doing that. There's no adjustments made from game one to game four. Okay. So when you when when you say adjustments, what what kind of adjustments would you like to see? What kind of adjustments could they make that you would then turn around and say, you know what, they made some adjustments, and even even if they didn't work, at least they made some, and that's a good sign. Our defense, our defense, and getting away from the soft coverage bullshit. You, you didn't okay. see some more of that? You said you saw it on Rewind. Did you see it? Because at least early against the Cowboys, especially when they had um, they had Cortland playing off uh, against uh, Anquan Bolden. He was on the other side of the field, and I thought they came out with some of that. But then they switched to Cortland on Anquan, and he started getting burned. And I think it was almost yeah. the wrong adjustment, in a sense. Well, I I didn't even watch the Cowboy game on Rewind. I took advice and decided not to become suicidal. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it comes down to everyone can say, well, the players need to execute. The players need to execute. Well, what they do, they can execute all they want. But if there's no adjustments made from the coaches and they're being told what to do, what are they going to execute? The same damn thing. But here's the thing regarding Sam Bradford, and I've seen his career from college to – and I've seen him play it as a freshman in 2010. He had confidence. He had poise. Even with the uh, RL line falling apart, he had confidence and poise, and he threw the ball, and it was running, thanks to Stephen Jackson mainly, and there was adjustments. But as the years progressed, I'm noticing that he's lacking confidence and not just his team, but his, his his coaches, and that's where that that's where his body language is coming from. He's frustrated by his coaches and his teammates. Okay, and um, if you notice the decline from 2010 to now, it's a stark difference from when he was a freshman. And um, I'm going to say this, and I hate it because it's going to hurt the Rams. But come. Say it, bro. 2014 to 2015, when his his contract's up and he becomes an FA, he needs to walk away from the team. I'll I'll put it like this. I'll give you one more chance to throw out another point, Will, because I'm glad to have you, but we're about to get into the show. Let me offer you another point. I don't see a very good chance of Sam Bradford getting through the rest of this contract. I mean, these last two years are going to be quite a bit more, I mean, 50% pretty much more expensive than what they have been. Yeah. As an as as a Sooner fan, right? You are an OU fan, correct? Yeah. So, as a Sooner fan, and with the ties to Sam Bradford, and, and like you just said, with it, with some assumed fandom loyalty to Sam and what he was able to do in Norman, would you would you rather see him leave, or is it kind of a win win for both teams 
if they start looking at other opportunities. Because I just don't see these last two years of the contract being the same. Now, I could see the Rams re-signing him and renegotiating yeah. a different contract. I could yeah. see them, uh, especially four games into this season. Granted, there's 12 left to go, and we don't know what's going to happen. But if the final 12 look like these early four, I could see this being the end of Sam Bradford's career in St. Louis. But, you know, if they turn things around, I could see them renegotiating some things and cutting some of that cap space in the next two years and almost backloading another deal so that he gets another four years to try to help this young team start to grow. What do, what do you think you feel most comfortable is going to be best for Sam and for the Rams moving forward? What's best and what for Sam and the Rams? Yes, sir. Realistically, without fandom, I think he should be traded, and I'll tell you why. Because it's going to give him a breath of fresh air, if you will, a breath, a, a change of scenery, uh, a chance to uh, start over with a different team, and that and that may be what it takes. Take a look at Alex Smith. Okay. Look what he's doing for this uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Being traded to them was a godsend to Alex Smith, okay? Uh, maybe that's what it takes for Bradford. As for the Rams, <laughs> they'll get the pick, their next, next victim, I mean, I mean, excuse me, next quarterback, because in <laughs> my opinion, the Rams have a tendency to chew up it and spit out quarterbacks like a wad of used-up issue paper. You can insert a famous quarterback, college quarterback, great college quarterback, blank, but if the surroundings is the same as Sam has had since his freshman year, there's going to be a problem. You're going to see the same results. And people are going to continue clamoring for another QB or whatever. Kurt Warner, everybody's saying, well, Kurt Warner was great, and he was. He was great. Okay, I'll take the word for it. But look what he was surrounded by. A solid offensive line, weapons from hell, and he went to the championships because he wasn't torn apart and didn't face changes every every day, unlike Sam Bradford. He, Bradford throughout his career has never had that, never, not once. His strength is a spread offense, no huddle quarterback, along with, and and, and you know what? That's the weapons that he has. That's their strength, too, but the coaches are not playing to their strengths either. Not just his strength. For whatever reason, coaches, no matter who they are, have never played to Sam Bradford's strengths, never. And they're not playing to the running back's strengths or the young – they're not playing to the Rams' young team's offensive strengths, which is spread huddle, no offense. That's where Tavon Austin came from. That's where Richard has come from. And I bet if you see that, if they're willing to do that, you'll see a change in that offense. They'll start winning games, and and they'll stop losing less. But I frankly do not see that happening at all. It's going to be run, 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 and then whatever. Hey, good stuff. Hey, Will, we appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate you getting the show going today. Uh, mentions of Kurt Warner. I don't know that I was emotionally prepared for that, but we went there. And that's what happens when you have a one and three star like the Rams have had. Wheel, thanks for coming on, brother. 
Have a good one, man. Folks, we had Kurt Warner announced the name drop in the first five minutes. That was going to get some Kurt Warner alarm. Release the Kurt Warner mention out. It's been done, folks. Week four, and we're bringing a greater show on Kurt. Tell honey, tell her to get under the desk. Under the desk, like it says in the video. That's the only way to avoid it. Oh, the alarm's off. Nuclear explosion, we're all dead. Great segue. <laughs> Nuclear alarm and everything going horrible. Um, there's another team in the NFL who hasn't been as successful thus far in 2013, and we need to bring them on because that's uh, the ESPN community that represents the team will be playing on Sunday. That's Big Tech Country. Awesome community over there bringing in Duval. It's our friend, your friend, of course, from Big Tech Country. It's Adam Stites. Adam, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, hey, did I say it right? Is it Duval or is it more like Duval? Is it like the nuclear alarm? Do I need to go up with it or bring it down? Uh, a little bit more ooh. So it's, yeah, Duval. So, yeah, you're going to write the first time. I got you. It's kind of like a hockey chain. Good stuff. Hey, I was reading earlier yeah. today about the uh, the McCoy waving. Um, I, you know, I don't know that much about Chris McCoy and, and certainly don't know that much about Marcus Burley. Tell us about the movie you guys made today and how you think that might affect the team by this weekend? Uh, it wasn't much. So that was more practice squad tinkering. Uh, Chris McCoy was a guy that when he first got here, we thought maybe he could be like Gus Bradley's version of Chris Clemens for, for Seattle, but it just never really came to fruition. Um, he, he never really just made plays until it looks like that was the end. I, 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 I'm sure he'll probably find get another spot on another practice squad, but uh, it just didn't look like it worked out. And then Burley's just a, you know, a, a practice squad kind of corner. So, uh, yeah, I was just more roster squad, roster uh, tinkering, and they really needed to add some receivers uh, because they've been really injured there. So I think it was just just little stuff. I don't think it's going to affect the roster much long term. I want to hit it up because I want to make sure everybody understands it. You know, Big Tech Country, you guys – it's kind of something that I mentioned in a, in a piece by DeMarco Farr earlier today, talking about bandwagon fans. And I always like this idea about bandwagon fans for franchises that struggle. There, there are no bandwagon fans left for Jaguars fans, for Rams fans. There's, they left a while ago. There's no, there's nobody left except the fans who really care that are willing to deal with this. Well, for you guys, you know, where you're at this season, obviously there's not – I mean, it's the reality. You guys aren't going to get a ton of positive press um, – how, how are you guys handling this early season, knowing it's kind of a, yeah, a early rebuild, and until you guys get to the draft, you can't address a lot of the core competencies of a rebuild, but how are you guys dealing with 2013? What have you liked? What is, what is maybe worse than you anticipated? I mean, I, I don't think anybody came into this season thinking this was going to be a playoff team. It's, it's step one. So, yeah, it, it's, it, this was definitely a, a kind of an expected. I don't think anybody expected to be quite this bad. This has been really bad. And that, that wears on you, watching the team lose by 20 every week. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been a little – it wears on you. But at the end of the day, uh, you just kind of have to remind yourself that it's part of the process. Uh, and so, yeah, Sundays are usually pretty rough, people getting frustrated. But – uh, by the time the middle of the week comes through, everybody realizes, and that, again, that you know this is a process, and so uh, we're we're trying to get through it. I mean, I at the end of the there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the in this draft class, and the Jaguars seem like they're going to be the ones getting their their pick. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, when you talk about it, it, that you guys didn't expect it to be this bad, what is it? What is it that's so bad? Is it as simple as saying, "Look, Blaine Gabbard isn't getting the offense going. That's putting the defense on the field too much, and they don't have the personnel or the experience or, or the certain skills to be used in the scheme that you guys are running to try to make things successful." What is it that's been worse than expected? Um, you know, it's just it's been a little bit of everything. Gabbert uh, has been bad, yeah, but it's not all on him either. Uh, offensive line has really struggled to get any push on the interior. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew looks old. Uh, the defense is is actually a pretty solid group, but they're young, and you, you put them on a field, the field enough times, things aren't going to go right. Um, so it's just been a little bit of everything. Uh, there are pieces, so it, it's not like I said, the defense has, really hasn't been that bad. It's it's looked pretty pretty decent at times. So they're able to make uh, enough stops where you think a team could be competitive with it, but the offense just hasn't been able to do anything uh, on, on the ground or through the air. And so that's really where it's been worse than we expected. At the very least, the Jaguars have been able to run the ball um, even during their passing struggles the last few years, and that's really gone too. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been, it's been bad, but like I said, it's there's there's a lot of solid pieces. So uh, what you're saying is it's kind of a shoot football gumbo. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't know what the problem is here. It's shitty. You had a little bit of andouille sausage. You know that's going to be your penalty. You had, you know, some, some delicious chicken broth and cheese rice that your poor offensive line is like a sieve just letting the broth come through. You know, you got it. Maybe you got some feeling. You got some poker to kind of thicken things up. That's Gus Bradley and the attitude. Tell me about Gus Bradley, man. In year one, how, how does it, obviously he's dealing with a difficult situation. Like you said, he's not going to be able to turn, you know, uh, Shinola out of shit. He's not going to be able to turn diamonds out of coal in one year. But how do you guys feel about his year one performance, both in terms of what he's done, but how he's handling the current situation? Um, I, I think it's. Uh, there's not a whole lot you can say that he's d- doing poorly. Uh, I've, Dave Caldwell, the new general manager, basically every player he's added has been solid. Uh, you can't even the, 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 when you go through the draft, the, the best group of the in the entire team might be the defensive backs, and those are all his third and fourth, sixth, seventh round picks. So um, it's it's hard to to really criticize. And then Gus Bradley, I, I think is. It's it's hard to say that he's doing a poor job with what he's got. Uh, like I said, the best area has been the secondary, and that's what his specialty is. So, um, yeah, you just got to be patient with these guys. Nobody thought that they were going to be able to do it in one year, so it would be unfair to lose your patience with them after four games. Well, in terms of what you want to see stick around and in terms of what we got Sunday, who are the guys that – have established a future with the Jaguars moving forward? Who should we be looking out for on Sunday? And maybe you're kind of under the radar team. I mean, you talked about some of the late round picks. And, you know, I thought Jacksonville's draft was pretty solid. Obviously, Jack Hill's not, you know, going to be able to produce one. He's along the line like that almost by himself. But you got Jonathan Sifrin, I thought was a great pick for you guys at the back. Ace Sanders, Denard Robinson, some good tools to bring some athleticism to the game early. And, you know, those are going to be weapons that moving forward you guys are going to be able to. And then even some players that a lot of people don't know, you know, the Rams got Brian Quick out of uh, Appalachian State. You guys picked up Demetrius McCray, and then you got Jeremy Harris. Talk about some of the rest of that rookie class. And, you know, if that's going to bring you some some enthusiasm and some confidence moving forward, then it's almost on those guys the rest of the way to to validate what it is that you guys have going on in the front office and the coaching staff. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned Demetrius McCray. He's a, another Appalachian State guy. Uh, that, that's a seventh-round pick, and he's had to step in and start due to injuries. Uh, and, you know, he's a rookie corner, so you don't expect him to, to look like, you know, Richard Sherman out there, but he looks really talented. He's a, he's a big guy. He's of that Seattle mold. Uh, and he's looked talented enough, and he's been able to stick with receivers to the point where you, you can't help but be optimistic about him. Uh, another guy that, that wasn't mentioned uh, is – the sixth-round pick, uh, Josh Evans, he was a safety from Florida. Uh, he wasn't supposed to start. Uh, Dwight Lowry went down with an injury, so he had his first career start last week. And, and the safety group, even with Cyprian, Cyprian makes plays every week. They're really they're not good, a good group yet, but there's every they make maybe three, four plays a game where you go, whoa, that, that's a that's a player right there. Where they they just they'll Cyprian will drop huge hits. Uh, Evans made a big diving stop in the end zone, and so they make enough plays where you go. I, I think these guys can definitely be someone soon. So yeah, the the secondary is probably the most optimistic area because it's just full of youth that's been really solid. Well, then in terms of the negatives, and I guess if, I, if I'm asking you to be rational, I mean, look, we're homers too. We're Rams fans. I know it's tough to sometimes shake off the, the opti- and maybe not optimism, but the hope, the kind of desire to see your team. And I, I would expect for Jaguars fans looking at the Rams saying, look, this is a beatable team. This is an opportunity this weekend. What, what would be something the Rams should be looking at a point of attack in terms of offense and, and maybe in terms of your offense, where can the Rams defense be the most successful? Um, you know, it's tough to say what the Jaguars could do successfully on offense because we haven't seen it at all yet, to be honest. Okay. Uh, Justin Blackman will be back this week, so I, I would expect to see the Jaguars doing a lot of underneath passing to him because that's really what they like to do is, is feed him underneath and let him break tackles because he really is really solid after the catch. So I, I would, if I'm if I'm the Rams defense, that's what I'm trying to game plan against is not letting Justin Blackman take these screen passes, break tackles, and get first downs. Uh, and even him being able to do that, that'll free up Cecil Shorts a little bit more, who's had to kind of step into that underneath role, which he's really not – that's not who he is. He's more of like your Chris Gibbons. He's going to be a guy that takes the top off the defense. And so with Justin Blackman back, uh, there's a possibility that that's going to be his role uh, now, but we'll see. It, it's We'll see if Justin Blackman makes a difference. We thought Mercedes Lewis's return would make a difference, and he was quickly out of the lineup once again. So, uh, I, what I wouldn't worry about is running the ball because that hasn't at all been a factor for the Jaguars. They've averaged less than two yards to carry against the Colts, who really were missing one of their better run defenders and shouldn't have been able to stop them as much as they did. And in terms of the other side of the ball, what, what should the Rams be looking for from the Jaguars' defense? Uh, the defense is I, – I, I think they're a pretty solid group, to be honest. I think this is probably a, a middle-of-the-road, maybe 12th, 13th ranked defense in the NFL if there's a functional offense to complement them. And you um, like them up front. Number, yeah, I, I, I do like them up front it, as far as the, the size of the middle guys. Uh, they, Dederick is a solid guy. Roy Miller is a solid guy. Pass rush is not there, though. That is one area that is just is completely vacant. Jason Babin is, is good for almost at least a penalty or two or a game and cannot get to the passer. Andre Brandt, their second-round pick last year, cannot get to the passer. So 
you're not going to have to worry about a pass rush. I, I wouldn't expect you to, unless and Derek Marks makes a, a push up the middle. But, yeah, other than that, I think the rest of the, the group is pretty good. But sometimes poor pass rush and youth in the secondary isn't a good combination. Well, we had a question from my executive producer, who's done a phenomenal job on tertiary radio. Let me plug him right now, Douglas Morrison. has done a great job putting these shows together. We appreciate you coming on, Adam. Are you a draft guy? Do you look forward to the draft, or is it something you just want to put off until about January or February? Uh, it's hard not to be a draft guy when you're a Jaguars fan. It's it's become an annual thing to look forward to when, when you're getting a top pick, 10 pick on the way. This year it could be a number one pick. So, yeah, I definitely think we're we're looking forward to the draft right now. Teddy Bridgewater looks like he's the, the guy, and uh, in, unless the Jaguars somehow pull themselves, grab a couple wins and get themselves out of that number one spot. So, yeah, I, I definitely think we're we're looking forward to the draft right now. Good stuff. Yeah, as Rams fans, we don't know anything about top ten picks of the draft. It's been a while since we've been there. You know, we're, we're always picking late twenties in the first round. Uh, yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard being this successful. Hey, Adam, I appreciate you coming on. Everybody, Adam Stein from Big Cat Country. Do you have a Twitter account? I do. Adam BCC. Adam BCC. Present Big Cat Country. Yeah, that's all. You guys have it together. You guys really have that esprit de corps over there that I love to see. And uh, I think it comes from Alfie and filters all the way down, but uh, it's good to see that you guys rock that in the Twitter handles. I'm always impressed by you guys. You guys got a good crew over there, man. I hope the team turns it around soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Have a good night. Hey, thanks, Adam. Adam Seitz, everybody, from Big Cat Country. That was Adam BCC on Twitter. Go ahead and go over to BigCatCountry.com after the show and throughout the week to catch up on the Jaguars. They got good stuff over there, um, and they do a good job. So catch them if you can, just like um, a certain movie star. But we may be talking about that pretty soon. I think we've got our next guest. I'm hoping, excuse me, now all of a sudden we talk about the Rams and the Jags, and I got something in my throat. It seems to happen. I'm hoping that we're bringing on our fantasy football expert coming out from CBS Sports. Mr. Eisenberg, are you on the line? I am. How are you doing? Wonderful. Mr. Eisenberg, hey, thanks for joining the show. Big weekend for you. Just want to talk about the meth trade in New Mexico. You know, everybody talks about Eisenberg, Eisenberg, and we find out that really it's Walter White. This has been a crazy week for you. How have you responded to getting killed and, you know, obviously being resurrected and turning into a fantasy football expert? How, how, how has this week really turned out for you? Uh, it's good. <laughs> good. Um, unfortunately, um, Eisen- I, I'm, I'm, I'm Jimmy, not, I'm not a breaking bad guy. So Eisenberg, not Heisenberg. Oh, damn it. Douglas. Hey, Jamie Eisenberg, man. CBS sports fantasy, not Heisenberg. <laughs> Get it right. Uh, sorry about that, Mr. Eisenberg. No, but I was talking about, uh, so football, so fantasy football, everybody, Jamie Eisenberg from CBS sports fantasy Football expert, not Heisenberg from Breaking Bad. I had to get that poor joke in. I promised my wife I would do it. And I pretty right. much ruined that segue by doing it. But, hey, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. Um, no I was problem. waiting for your chat <laughs> earlier today. And, thankfully, it was bad. It was devoid of bad Breaking Bad jokes. Um, talking about the Rams, let's start there. I, I, I feel bad for you that that's where we have to start. But this is a Rams show. 
talk about it from a fantasy standpoint. You know, you go into the season, maybe Sam Bradford isn't one of the big guys, but, you know, Jared Cook shows some promise. Kayvon Austin is a rookie. Chris Givens showed the deep right capability going into the season after what he did last year. How disappointing have the Rams been from a fantasy standpoint, do you think? And has there been a team that's maybe even more disappointing from a fantasy standpoint? Uh, well, they're certainly up there, you know, when you when you look at the potential, um, you know, especially given the fact of the, the way that they started, you know, with, with Jared Cook in week one, you know, Tavon Austin in week two, um, the way that Chris Gibbons was expected to play, you know, uh, who would have thought that by week five we're talking about Austin Pettis maybe being their best receiver. So it's um, it, it's been frustrating. You know, I, I, I think what you got to do is sort of gauge your roster. Um, you know, I think at this point Chris Gibbons in, in a standard 12-team league, you know, where you have, you know, five, six bench spots, and you need to get something that's going to help you now. He's he's somebody you could drop. I don't know if we're there with Tavon Austin just yet because at least the targets have been there for him throughout the course of the season so far. Uh, Jared Cook, you know, if you're if you're looking at your waiver wire right now and you're seeing, you know, guys like Kobe Fleener and Heath Miller and um, Charles Clay and, and those guys are available, you know, I think Jared Cook right now, one great game, three miserable games, you know, you can make the case to drop him also. So it's been uh, it's been tough. And, you know, it, it, it starts with Sam Bradford. It starts with that offensive line. Um, this is a telling week. You know, if they can't get some production from, you know, whoever the running back may be, hopefully it's still Daryl Richardson. Um, but if they can't get production from their running game this week and, and make some plays against Jacksonville in that defense, you know, it's going to be time to cut a lot of those guys. Yeah, and I was actually looking at the waiver wire piece you guys had over there on CBS Sports, the video that you guys put up. And the drop list you had for week five, I was surprised that, you know, I wasn't surprised that Chris Jones was number two, but I was a bit surprised that Isaiah Pete was there at number 12. I, and not not so much that he was on the list. I was surprised that there are still people that have Isaiah Pete on the roster after the fact. You know, he hasn't done much of anything this season, and he was a healthy and active for last week. From a, from a from a fantasy standpoint, why why did Isaiah Pete make that list? Well, it's just you know you're looking at guys that are going to help you now. You know, and for the people that you know maybe invested in, in Isaiah Pete to to you know as a stash candidate, you know you can still sit on him just in case. You, you never know; they're going to have to fix their running game some way. Uh, clearly, you know, whether it's Jeff Fisher and, and coaching staff and management, they're not being happy with Isaiah Pete and whatever was the reason he wasn't active last week's game or just the fact, you know, that he's had the off-field issues, not being able to learn the playbook, you know, all the things that have gone into his career so far. Um, you know, if you're looking at your waiver wire right now and you're seeing, you know, maybe Rashad Jennings is, is out there, uh, if you want to speculate next week that Alfred Morris is hurt and you want to pick up Roy Hulu if he's out there, uh, you need a receiver, you know, and maybe you want to go out and get Marlon Brown, who, you know, has been playing well, Austin Pettis, you know, who's, you know, maybe got a little bit more upside. Uh, even if you want to make the switch, you know, just for Benny Cunningham and see if maybe they give him an opportunity this week. So, um, you know, I, it just depends on kind of what your roster is and, and how you're looking at Isaiah Pete, but, you know, I, I just don't know if he's worth it at this point anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What kind of – I just – I'm so skeptical. Like, what kind of moron would have Isaiah P on his roster by the time at this point – hold on one second, Jamie. Isaiah P drop. All right. And Cunningham <laughs> add. All right. Yeah, what kind of moron would do – I don't understand who would even have them on the roster this point in the season. But for those people that do, I think that's good advice. I, I was interested by the maybe add. You had Austin Pettis there for the Rams, kind of the – the number three guy at the wide receiver position, but Jerome Simpson and Robert Woods ahead of him, and understandably after the performance of Robert Woods had near touchdown, kind of bumbled catch in the end zone. Terrace Williams at four for the Cowboys, and then Keenan Allen at five. Talk about the wide receiver position going into this week. Yeah, that's not that's not a rank list. That's the ownership percentage. You know, we do it. You know, just so people know who's the most owned versus the least owned. Um, but I, I I think when you look 
you asked about Pettis, right? Um, I, I think when you when you look at Pettis and, and just the way that he is right now, um, if you listen to the game last week, you know, Mike Mayock was talking about their production meeting with Sam Bradford, and he said that Pettis is the guy he feels the most comfortable with, uh, which was kind of telling because, you know, Givens has, has been there just as long as Pettis has, and, you know, you thought that Tavon Austin was going to come in and, you know, take over this receiving court to a certain degree, and Jared Cook obviously, you know, being the veteran of that group. Um, but Pettis is the one that he seems to go to, you know, with, when he needs to make a play. And uh, he said, you know, that's the guy that I know can catch almost anything thrown in his direction. So, you know, if you're looking at these Rams receivers right now, um, why not take a chance on the guy that the quarterback trusts? And, and maybe this is the one, this is the player who ends up just being the, the goal line, the, the red zone threat, the, the, the key catch guy, you know, the third down threat. Um, if it's going to be Pettis, you know, with, with the way that the other guys are playing, I, to me there's just too many options right now for Sam Bradford, and I think it's hurting the rest of these guys. Like the throw that he made into double coverage that was intercepted in, into the end zone to Brian Quick, I, I, I don't understand that. If you're going to force – if Austin Pettis is the guy you feel most comfortable with, if Derek Cook and Tavon Austin were your big offseason addition, if Chris Gibbons is the guy that's supposed to be, you know, the, you, you know, the guy you have the most rapport with, why, why is Brian Quick out there, A, and B, why are you forcing his double coverage to him? Yeah, good point. Um, you know, just a, a quick segue. I was actually, because I've got a lead on CBS with my family, and I was looking at, you know, some of the suggestions throughout the positions and how to spot play for this week. And not surprisingly, because they're playing the Jaguars, the Rams actually were a pretty favorable play across the board. And, and even in that waiver wire piece lower on in the streamers for week five, talking about defensive special teams units and kickers to throw in for this week. And the Rams were actually the number one option there. And I know you said sometimes they, you guys rank them specifically by ownership percentage, but talking about the Rams are at the top of that list, I guess, uh, with Jacksonville as the opponent in St. Louis. Is, is this a good week maybe to spot certain guys on the Rams? And who do you think matches up maybe favorably for the Jaguars from a fantasy standpoint? Well, it's going to be interesting because you're getting Dustin Blackman back, and you have to see if, you know, uh, Blaine Gabbert can be the guy that's going to get, you know, both him and, and Cecil Shorts involved. Uh, you know, clearly receivers have had success against the Rams. Um, you know, I think it's uh, eight guys that have had at least eight fantasy points or seven guys that have had at least eight fantasy points against them in a standard league. Uh, number one receivers have obviously crushed them. So, you know, Blackman has an opportunity, I think, you know, to step off the street. You know, I don't know if he's going to have a, uh, a Josh Gordon-type impact, you know, first game off suspension, but you got to hope that he is, you know, going to produce. Um, I think the same thing with Shorts. You know, Shorts uh, dropped a touchdown last week in that game against Indianapolis. You know, hopefully Blaine Gabbert, you know, can continue just to make him uh, the focal point that he has been. You know, he came into last week leading the NFL in targets. So uh, he's obviously somebody that I think you can, can consider starting as well. And then this is, you know, a telling week, you know, not only for the Rams and, and, and their offense, but for Maurice Jones-Drew, you know, in, in terms of how fantasy owners can use him because uh, he had a favorable matchup last week against Indianapolis. Clearly he struggled. He struggled all season so far. Um, if it wasn't for the touchdown in Seattle in garbage time against their backups, you know, he, he would be four fantasy points or less in, in all four games this year. So um, if he can't run against St. Louis that just got beat up the last two weeks by DeMarco Murray and then all the 49ers running backs basically – um, you know, you're never going to see Martin Reese-Jones Drew in anybody's starting lineup uh, probably for the rest of this year. Yeah, and I don't know the Rams fans are really looking forward to the rest of the year at this point, but, you know, if, if there's a silver lining, maybe there's an opportunity to get some things turned around about, with the Jaguars and then move forward and get something successful on the field. For the rest of the league, you know, looking around this weekend, maybe not just specifically from a fantasy standpoint, but even there as well, what, what are you looking for this weekend? Is there anything you're certain about in terms of, Player matchups or team on teams. Obviously, you got a couple uh, 
unfair matchups, I guess you could say, with uh, some some teams that are obviously pretty stacked right now, and then some teams that are really struggling. But at the same time, you know, I'm looking at Broncos, Cowboys. I'm looking at Chargers, Raiders, uh, and even to a degree, Jets, Falcons. Despite the fact that the Falcons are one and three, and the Jets are two and two, but looking at the rest of the week, you've got some pretty key matchups in terms of the teams and maybe some player matchups. Who are you looking at? Well, I, I think the biggest thing, just given the fact of what fantasy owners thought of them and, you know, how they were drafted, if the Giants can't do anything against that Eagles defense this week, I, you know, you could talk about their offensive line being as banged up as it is and, and you know, 0-4 record and all, all the things that have factored into the Giants' poor play so far this year with Eli Manning and the turnovers. Uh, but this is the opportunity for them to right the ship. Whether they win the game or not, it's the opportunity for their offense to get on track because everybody's had success so far this year against Philadelphia's defense. They are at home. They're obviously desperate. Um, you know, David Wilson should be started if you own him this point for this week based on the matchup against Philadelphia. Eli Manning, if you need a quarterback, you know, if you if you went into the season with RG3 and Eli Manning as your guys, knowing that Eli Manning was going to have a home game against Philadelphia on RG3's bye week, you should start him. Um, I, I think Eli Manning is a better play this week than guys like Andrew Luck, than Russell Wilson, just given their matchups, than Matt Schaub. Um, Alex Smith, you know, guys who have all outplayed Eli Manning, but I, I think, again, the matchup for him against Philadelphia is one he can exploit, and Akeem Nix as well. You know, a guy that had a great first game, over 100 yards receiving, um, needs to come in and, and stop dropping the ball. I know he's had a dislocated finger, but I don't care. He's got to play well against Philadelphia. Uh, and, again, like we talked about with the Rams guys and with Jones Drew, if, if these three guys don't step up, you know, clearly it's going to be time that you have to, you know, consider never starting them again. Um you know, so some of the other games, I, I think it's going to be, you know, fun to see uh, how Dallas, if they can keep up offensively with, with Denver, you know, because we've seen teams try and, you know, have some success. You know, Oakland, surprisingly, over the last couple of weeks has been the best. Uh, sure. I would like to see what this Raiders offense can do with Terrell Pryor because he unfortunately missed out on a great matchup last week against Washington. It'd be nice to see him come back against San Diego, another team that, you know, defensively has struggled in that same game, can Phillip Rivers. Uh, uh, Danny Woodhead, you know, these guys, can they keep up what, what we saw from them a week ago? It's just we're at the point of the season where it's make or break time for a lot of these guys, whether it's been the surprise upstarts like Rivers or the guys who have been a disappointment like Eli Manning and like David Wilson. Everybody, you listen to Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports. It's at Jamie Eisenberg. That's J A M E Y E I S S E R G. Jamie Eisenberg over on Twitter from CBS Sports talking to us about fantasy. Jamie, in terms of CBS Sports, what you guys have going on this year, what should people who maybe aren't familiar with CBS Sports as a platform and what you guys are trying to do over there, what would be your kind of draw to bring them in in terms of what you guys have going on at CBS Sports? Well, we uh, we have a live show every day from uh, 12 o'clock Eastern to, to 1 um, where we uh, take your phone calls, take your emails. You know, it's very interactive with uh, with all of the people, whether you play on CBSSports.com or not. Um on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, we have our Fantasy Football Today show, which is a two-hour uh, show, which gives you all the inactive starts and information. And that's with uh, myself, Dave Richard, uh, uh, Chad Johnson, the, the formerly known as Chad Ojosinko. Um He's on our on our show. Um, we do a podcast once a week. And then, you know, for the people who have already drafted and played in their leagues, and, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, are out of their fantasy leagues already at week five, uh, we have a four-week challenge that you can take part in, and it's uh, – uh, keeps recycling week after week. So if you still want to get your fantasy fixed, and even though your team may be struggling, you can do a lot of redrafts as the season goes on. Yeah, speaking of redrafts, I, I, I promised Doug, our producer, before I let you go, Jamie, that we would mention this fantasy team. I think it's up there. I think for perhaps the worst fantasy team I've ever seen. I'm just going to announce it for everybody who may be listening to the show. Answer yourself, Jamie. 
you may want to get some cock balls for the eardrums for this one. E.J. Manuel, quarterback. Marcus Colston, Stevie Johnson, and Jordy Nelson, a wide receiver. Marshawn Lynch and Stephen Ridley. Vernon Davis, Joyce Bell, Eddie Royal, and Mike Williams. Uh, Doug is on four. I think he may be headed to a comfortable 0-16 season. What, what would you say to the people who struggle in fantasy football? Even the ones who, who have maybe better teams, or for the people who have tough fantasy fantasy teams at this point, you know, with enough time to turn it around and make a couple moves, what should they be looking at to try to improve their fantasy fortune? You know, he he had uh, you know two players that jumped off or jumped out to me. You know, three with with Marcus Colston if you want to make him the third. But you know, with Marshawn Lynch and and Jordy Nelson at this point, you got to try and do some two for one trades and and see if you can get. You know, some guys that are, you know, a tier below Marshawn Lynch, a tier below Jordy Nelson, and try and improve, you know, certainly the quarterback position, um, but maybe get yourself, you know, two starters at, at those spots. I think a receiver, you're okay because you can get by with Colston and, and Jordy Nelson in almost any league. And, you know, Steve Johnson's got off to a good start, but you need to get a second running back because obviously Stephen Billy's been a disappointment. Um, if you could turn Marshawn Lynch into, you know, two guys, you know, maybe a Le'Veon Bell and, and a David Wilson or. Um, you, you know, something along those those, those lines. Uh, Marshawn Lynch should bring back a decent haul uh, to give yourself, you know, another couple of starters. That that would be a move that I would make right away. Good stuff. Hey, Jamie, thank you for coming on, everybody. Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports. Follow him at Jay-Z, Jamie Eisenberg on Twitter, J-A-M-E-Y-E-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G. Jamie, thanks for the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jimmy Eisenberg from CBS Sports, everybody. Um, good stuff from fantasy there, man. Uh, I know we like to have Mike on from the Rams perspective, but it's good to have some of these national writers come in and obviously somebody that's able to talk to somebody like a Chad Ocho Cinco to provide that fantasy expertise from inside the studio. And like you said, they got video content. They got everything ready for the win. You need to go over there and hook up and put Jamie and the team are offering over to CBS Sports. It's great stuff. Uh, so let's switch gears a little bit, because as good as that was, we need to get into the muck as Rams fans. And I think I got somebody on who can help me do just that. I believe Mr. Ryan, then the dealer on Tertia Radio. Ryan, what's up, man? What's going on tonight? It, uh, it sounds like you guys might be broadcasting out of a tin can. I am. You know, my wife's getting the foil because I need, I need the foil tin hat. I one and three. We decided that now, after the last two games, was the time to bring on national fantasy writers from CBS Sports. If the Rams go one and eight, I'm pretty sure we're going to have Adam Schefter and Michael Irvin on Turfshow Radio. We're just waiting, we're waiting until the lowest point possible to bring in the most, the highest visibility guests. Oh man, how how bad? I mean, so for everybody that doesn't know, Van is kind of transitioned into the SBN. And it's the SB Nation NFL editor role. The man is running the show for SB Nation NFL. How hard is it to look to look across the league and see some teams that are doing things well, and, and look at how easy some teams make it sometimes, and then look at the Rams every week and see how poorly they're performing. You know, I just don't understand because there's a lot of teams out there that are less talented than the Rams that are doing more with less every week. And sure. the results aren't necessarily – it's not like they're – I mean, it's not like they're any of the o, the 4-0 and o teams. But, you know, there's a lot of teams. And, I mean, you go to – you look at Buffalo. You look at the New York Jets. I mean, you know, there, there are teams doing more with less than St. Louis is. And it's really just – like it's baffling because of what we saw last year. I just saw somebody today, I think it almost was like – in a way, like the the NFC West record last year was maybe the worst thing that happened to the Rams. 
because it almost set like this bizarre level of expectations. You know what I mean for for who this team is and what they are, and maybe we just weren't quite ready to be at that level yet. But I don't know. It is it, you know it is a little frustrating as a fan, obviously as a Rams fan, to to go you 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 know you can only watch so many New York Jets games and think you're going to have some comedy gold, but alas, comedy yeah, gold I mean, that's right the under thing. our nose the whole time. Yeah, you you mentioned it. the thing that's weird about it is it's not the talent issue. I think in so many previous years, and it, it, kind of a microcosm of it is the running back position. You know, people talk about the fact that the Rams need to get a better running game. Well, I don't know where that's going to come from. They just don't have a lot of talent at running back, and the, the offensive line isn't performing at a level where it's going to be that easy to just turn out a running game week in, week out. But you, you look at the run defense and the pass coverage, and even to a degree, the passing game, when you got a, a Sam Bradford who's done what he what he has in his past, but last year and building off that in the first game, will be, and even the second game, even against Atlanta, you know, things look like they were turning up and to come crashing down this quickly in the last two weeks. What do, what do you think is more of the reality and what is more of the anomaly, the first two games or the last two games? I I think it's somewhere in between. I mean, I think that there's well, Dan. Dan, look, we're trying to get hot sports takes here. You get you come in here with your rationalism and your, you know your common sense. I, you no know, I don't have that. I don't have good takes. I, I tell you what, though, I was so pissed off after that loss Thursday night. I was furious. But I the, I could I couldn't even sleep. I was so anxious to just fucking blast what we'd seen on the field that night because it was such a terrible. Awful display. It was terrible. Uh, it was terrible. It, I mean, it was just like, it was like, I felt like everyone at that dome that night should have got their money back for that. It was awful, considering what we've been sold and promised for, you know, since the beginning of 2012. And, you know, what seemed like justifiably so, but that was just, and, and there's something going on that, to me, the biggest worry is, and this is something you and I have talked about, all these damn years we've been doing this with all these bad Rams teams, since 2006, 3K, since 2006, the best season we've ever covered at Turf Show Times is 8-8. Eight and eight. Think about that. In, it's like, look at the tackle thing today. It's like, well, now Jake Long's, it's Ryder Saffold's out, and he's out for a few more games at least. And Jake Long's hurt last week. His play's really shaky. And then they cut Max Starks today to bring back Dunbar. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, shit, you're one injury away from just a disastrous offensive line situation again. And we've seen that in the last two weeks. And that's with, you know, only Saffold gone and, and Jake Long actually playing the game, so to speak. It's just like it's it's just that total systems failure where, like, if, if you know, if the carburetor goes bad, the whole fucking engine goes bad and, and everything just goes, it's all rots away from there. So, I don't know, it's, it's like... You look at the at both sides of the ball like that, and the worst part is the defense. You can, I mean, there's, you know, the the defensive line just getting washed out by, by that wide open mid zone where you know a team can just kind of quick pass around them and make a ten yard gain on a, you know, a one point seven seconds in the pocket, yeah. something ridiculous like yeah. that. It's crazy, crazy. And it was weird. You both referenced kind of the golden era of the Rams under Turf Show Times visibility <laughs> at 8-8. Eight and eight. But you also talked about the offensive line. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into the drama, but we were really close to having a – or maybe not really close. Maybe I'm overplaying that. We were somewhat tenuously close to having a member of that line on Turf Show Radio, which would have been fun. What, what do you think – and it would you have kind been. of segue that – do what? 
I said it would have been. It would have been interesting. It was. A, it would have been. It, have been, it was a person that would have been very interesting to talk to. And I think that's kind of my my segue there is you know kind of talking about uh, who was your boy? It was Tim Walton. What was this quote? We just have to do what we have to do, or what? What was the Zen Buddhism that dropped on us? <laughs> we are. We're about what we're about, or we just have to do what we have to do. God, that's that's the kind of thing that you might as well just mint straight in bronze and just ship it straight to Canton uh, over the front door. Yeah, in, ter- in terms of the public relations play, what what did the how did they handle this? Because that's you know honestly that's one of Jeff Fisher's strengths is handling media and spotlight and the pressure that sometimes comes along with it. Obviously for the Rams and being one and three at this point, that's not really a ton of pressure, but. You know, how do the Rams recapture that? Now they've got to get it done on the field, but how do they do it in terms of public perception and for the, for the fans of the St. Louis Rams? Well, what they whatever they've done so far, they need to they need to step it up because it's just not been good. I mean, this is not. You know, you go back and look at the. I mean, and, and to their credit, you know, to the Rams' credit, I mean, the the. the you know they were they had people out there pushing. You know, and and think of what it was like in August and the atmosphere around the Rams in August. And how you couldn't really, I mean, everywhere you go, you know, there was Rams-related stuff. I mean, you know, Dimoff or, or Snead or Fisher even. And then some of the players were on local television and local radio talking up the season, talking up the preseason games, selling tickets, pitching for PSL, all that kind of stuff. And it's like all that's gone now. And it's just sort of become this, like, this insulated, you know, don't, don't watch us. I mean, you, you know, the goodwill that the players had on Twitter before, and I understand it sucks to be a player on a shitty team on something like Twitter, because I can tell you that's probably like the shit you take for producing a power rankings column every week. It's yes. awful, yes. but it is infinitely, <laughs> it's, it was, it's a fraction of what you get as a player. You know, I see Chris Long having to deal sure. with idiots about, you're so overpaid and stuff like But anyway, it's just like, all that goodwill's gone, and you just don't – it's not – they're not pushing out there, and there's this mentality. And this is an NFL problem, too. This is a problem that a lot of NFL teams have. It's just that insular corporate mentality of, you know, batting down the hatches, let's weather the storm, let's get through this thing, let's not, you know, let's not go out there and trip on any tripwires we set ourselves and then and, and, and create any more problems for it. So, you know, there's just it's just this batting down the hatches. Get out there. Sell the fans on this. Be open and honest and tell the fans what's going on. We're not happy with this soft zone, but here's why we're doing it. I know you're not happy with this soft zone covers it. Everybody from, you know, St. Louis Morning Sports Talk Radio to to Turf Show Times to Twitter to everybody else in the world is making jokes about it on Twitter. Go out there and tell us about it. Try to make us understand, educate us about this at least. I mean, this is a smart. We live. It's a. It's a. It's the age. It's the golden age of fans because fans are smart now. This isn't like before where you had one source of one point of access to the team, and that yep. was, you know, the quotes in the paper every every day during the season, and then you know a few times a week during the off season. But it's it's just, you know, there's instant access, and fans are smart. They understand the game. They watch Red Zone Channel. They read Turf Show Times. They read websites like ours. They go to all those things. They talk on Twitter. You can, I mean, think of I can I can name twelve Rams fans on Twitter off the top of my head. That you can talk intelligently about playbooks and play calling and player skills and player abilities and stuff like that. Just, you know, right, and you guys know them all right off the top of your head. And, and it's just like you've got to come out and you can't hide 
when you, a, a crappy product anymore, and, and you need to kind of get out there. This is sort of an extended rant, I know, but you got to get out there and at least, you know, inoculate yourself a little bit with some information. Speaking of inoculating rant, uh, Van, I, I got to hit you up. You talked about NFL corporateness, and you talked about openness and honesty. I got to hit you with the nuclear alarm. Everybody, duck. Openness, honesty, NFL. Yeah. 
All right. Well, now I have to segue. I, I have to admit you drew a good Tevin impression. Now, what's going on? Uh, nothing much, man. What's going on with you guys? Well, you know, we got, we got Dan back on the show. It's a nice anniversary to bring somebody back on the show that hasn't been on in a while. But, you know, it's tough circumstances. You're talking about the Rams 1-3. and three. We had Jamie on earlier to talk about the fantasy perspective and the fact that Austin Pettis, of all people, looks like maybe the most uh, respectable or consistent fantasy option. What, what are you looking forward <laughs> to this Sunday with the Jaguars? Um, honest with you, if we lose this game, I think it's over. Like, I think all hell's gonna break loose on Twitter with fans. Oh. Uh, people are gonna start like going crazy. I mean, like I think it's over. If the Rams don't win, I mean it's good to win, but this is one of those games where you have to win by double digits. Yeah. Under twelve point favorites. I mean, you know, and I when I saw that, my first reaction to that spread was like, <laughs> I don't know about that. But you're right, man. They gotta. I mean, it, they they gotta win decisively. There's no, no. There's there's no fourth quarter comeback that you can celebrate when it's against the Jaguars this year. No way. I do enjoy the irony, though, after what's going on in the last two weeks and kind of where we were preseason, that maybe the biggest expectations we've ever had for a single game so far in the last, pretty much since 2012, is for this weekend. So the Rams just came out of the offseason and looked like a capable team. You know, two games that required some serious comeback efforts after pathetic first halves and then two absolutely pitiful performances, and now we're 12-point favorites. After everything we've gone through this season, now we're 12-point favorites. I think it's just a ironic situation, but, you know, you deal with the Jags, who knows, man? Who knows what we're going to see? I, I'm interested to hear from both of you guys. Who do you think that, you know, it's the Jags, and like I said, Adam was on earlier, you know, they, they watch this team, and even like you said, maybe there's not a lot of uh, great areas for this team, for this Jaguars team in 2013, but who do you think is set up for a, for a plus week to kind of either rebound, whether you're talking about somebody like a Corbin Finnegan or Jared Kirk or Jake Long, or somebody that comes out of nowhere to show up, maybe a Bunny Cunningham, Brian Quick, who do you think has a big Sunday in them? Um, I think if, it, if it's anybody, it has to be Bradford. Out of all the the way he looked Thursday night, it was so bad. If you don't come out and perform Sunday, everyone's going to look at you differently. Like, people are not going to make the same excuses as they were before. Because have you seen the national media have totally taken a different liking to Sam Bradford? They think he can't be the guy... He, like everyone, everyone is just like, oh, he doesn't have enough weapons. Uh, Brian Shy and I was making a Mark Sanchez. It has to be Bradford. I I agree. I mean, I really agree with you there. I mean, there's no reason not to to carve up this Jacksonville defense. I think what worries me on the other side of the the ball is is if the defense kind of if the defense doesn't change the Jaguars have Justin Blackman coming back this week now you can make the argument maybe he's not quite up to speed because he missed you know four games but because he's in the substance abuse program he can you know he's at the team facility he's you know working out and stuff like that I mean he's working with the coaches and everything it's not like he's been suspended like done by you know like you know a, a, a true suspension. Or, I mean, it's a substance abuse related suspension rather, not the other kind. But anyway, um, you know, so it's a, you know, that's that's a guy that can kind of that could do a little bit of damage if if the Jaguars can be competent enough to 
to fire those quick off little passes in the flat or, you know, just out over the middle of the field, those five, six-yard passes have been killing the Rams with every other team's done. So, you know, I, that's what I'd be – that's what I'm kind of watching for, I wonder. Yeah, I, I just yep. loaded up the nuclear alarm, so I don't know that I want to bring that up when you talk about Jags and competency just again. But um, one, one thing I would suggest, we had a great comment in from the thread is from Seattle Rams, actually Nick Martin, who called in last week, and I botched that name, my bad, Nikki, um, talking about the Jags and their first half. You know, the first four games, they scored eight points in the first half of the four games they played thus far. That doesn't set up for a great first half between the Jaguars team that understandably hasn't performed all that well, but a Rams team that's really struggled in the first half. Do you guys expect much from them this week, and, and can you possibly explain what's going on from them after a 2012 where they showed some first-half confidence? Um, I think it's all the quarterback. <laughs> yeah? All the quarterback, um, Blaine Gabbard. Blaine Gabbard is awful. Chad Henney yeah. got them going last year. Ryan, what do you think? I mean, we talk about Blaine Gabbard and Chad Henney. What about Sam Bradford? I mean, we talk, we talked about him, obviously, in terms of what he's got to step up. But, you know, is he a first-half guy, or is he going to take some time to kind of adjust, do you think? I, you, you know, they got to come out strong. They don't have time to adjust easily because the problem is they don't adjust easily. I mean, you know, you basically – those late comebacks were sort of an illusion because Arizona quite wasn't ready for, you know, Jared Cook, but the takes out on Jared Cook now. It's, you know, you can't, you know, you can't take what happened in Atlanta against Mike Smith, who, you know, would probably play the prevent defense if he had a three-point lead in the second quarter. You know, would you can't you know, and then you look what happened the next week at Dallas, and then it just gets progressively worse. I mean, Bradford's passer rating, or not passer rating, his completion percentage hasn't been above sixty percent the last three games since the first game of the season. It wasn't above fifty percent last week. It's just it's not you know this is not a sustainable track that they're on. They have to come out and be decisive and be you know because I think the 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 confidence with the team is so shaky at this point. It's like if they're down by seven points against the Jaguars heading into the half this week, they're screwed. I mean, you know, I don't know where they're going to find the resolve to come back from that. Because, they, they, you know, they've, they've shown a lack of adjustment, you know, an ability to adjust to, to an opponent. Yeah, speaking of adjustments, and then I guess we're going to start to close this show out, I, I think maybe one of the areas that is one of the easiest areas to maybe kind of fix that the Rams have been so bad at, and it's not just this year, it's not just last year, it's moving a a while back now, it's penalties. It's the penalties. And no. the, there's something weird about the penalties on the punt returns. This isn't a small sample size anymore. It's getting – at first it was kind of upsetting. Then it was frustrating. Then it was farcical. At this point, I, I'm concerned that the rest are throwing out flags like as soon as the ball is punted and just assuming that somewhere there's going to be a penalty to call. What are the Rams? You know, how how do you get this team to focus on penalties? And what do you think? What do you guys attribute that to in terms of the consistency of the penalty calls week in week out? You know, the problem is, is they never got you know they never got it into shape last year. I mean, you don't have you can't look back at 2012 and say, well, they got it kind of, you know, they got it together in the in the last six games of the season. They never got the penalty thing under control. I mean, to me, that's like, oh, there's something there's something going on there. And then you throw in the fact that all these special teams penalties, and, and I don't have the data in front of me of who's committed them. I mean, I know that a lot of veteran players have drawn their fair share of flags on offense and defense, especially the offensive line. But 
you know, with the penalty with the with the special teams units rather, you got a lot of undrafted free agents on that group. A lot of undrafted free agents. And it's not like they're all undrafted free agents from Alabama and LSU either. It's it's guys that, you know, this is <laughs> this is new territory and they're not you know, they're not ready quite, you know, if they're not, you know, and and they're not getting the benefit of the doubt on the calls either because, you know, the word's sort of out on Fisher and the Rams, and it's just like, you know, you're, if they see something that looks like a violation, there's going to be a flag. There's not going to be a pause or a hesitation in that. And, you know, it's just sort of – it's it's a perfect storm of effects. And then, you know, it, to me, it all – it's the accountability goes back to the coaching aspect. Why can't this – you got to get this under control. You know, you're the coach. This is your problem when it kind of continues to fester like this. Hey, good stuff. Dan, I want to keep you on the line. We're going to close this show out, and we'll do it uh, in a solar stop. But, hey, I, I want to thank you for calling in, man. I didn't catch your name. I thought you were Kevin the whole time. I screwed that up. I botched it. Yeah, I suck. What the, what, who's this, man? <laughs> it's Smith. What's the Smith. Smith. Now, now, look. Now, look. Uh, okay, hold on. Here's what I don't want. I don't want everybody playing the race card. I do not think that Tevin and Smith sound alike just because they're black. Here's what it's about. It's about anime. These two brothers talk about anime and this shit all the day. Tevin has gone off and created some kind of football. I don't even know what corner of weird, modern, hipster nerdery Tevin has entered. I don't even know what he's talking about. Smith, you need to get Tevin together, man. This kid needs help. Yeah, I got him. I got him for you guys. Right, right. Hey, hey, tell us about New Jersey, man. What's going on, there, uh, on up in New Jersey these days? What's the deal with the football scene up in New Jersey? Is everything going good? Yeah, everything's cool, man. I'm just in the house playing from the NBA 2K14. You know how I go. Well, hey, stay with NBA. Stay with NBA because you know NCAA ain't coming back, so stick with something you're going to be able to get next year. <laughs> I got the papers, man. You already know. You going for that chip? I didn't want to mention. We'll we'll get there next. Hey, Smith, call us up when we get closer to the season, man. We'll talk about the Pacers and the Mavericks. All right, bro. All right, man. Hey, Uh, Oh, man, Smith, uh, see, I feel bad that I botched it. And, of course, it was one of those situations where I screw it up and it's Tevin and Smith. They're kind of interchangeable, man. Those are kind of the two young – They feel, I almost feel avuncular in a sense. Like, those are my two little nephews kind of holding down the, the next <laughs> generation of, of Tertial Times, one on the staff and one kind of on the social media leading the fans and the, the Tertial Times. So, I feel bad that I did it. But, seriously, Tevin with the, the football anime, what is, what is this? I feel old, man. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I, I just all I know is like it's that that Japanese style of animation. I don't really know much more beyond that. I, it's it's sort of a. I mean, I can't, you know, I I read a lot of comic books back in the days. So I'm not making fun of it by any means. I'm just saying I don't quite. It's not really ever crossed pop cultural um, interaction with me. So I, you know, it's yeah, cool. I don't, I don't, I don't know much about it. I feel old. I feel like, you know, my, my cultural worldview is limited. You know, we can we can talk about history. We can talk about classic art. I can talk about Goya. I can talk about, obviously, we can talk about Nixon and, you know, Brzezinski and talk about, you know, 1970s American political history. But when you come to comic books, man, you just leave me out. But I know what you're out. We're over football. our heads right now. That's <laughs> One thing we did, I, did, I failed to mention right before I brought you on. We can do some music, because remember, this is the show. This is the same yeah, show where I kind they, of discovered who Drake was. 
<laughs> I was going to say, Van, our kind of music and, and the kind of music that 90% of the audience probably listens to, I don't, think, I don't know how many Flaming Lips fans we really have. And granted, you're a Flaming Lips fan. I know Oklahoma music. We can deal with that, but I don't know how many people want to hear that. We did have an actual breaking news that I, I wanted to bring in before, you know, you came on the show was with the Jets, they actually – they traded Eugene Monroe pending a physical to the Ravens. Left tackle Eugene Monroe from the Jacksonville Jaguars is now headed to the Ravens. I hope that doesn't kick you off and you say, look, I got to go. We got expedition stuff to do. I got to I got to get posts up. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I think Alfie's working tonight on, on, on the, assign, the <laughs> they, assignment editor, which well, is why. Yeah, he, he, might be, he might be working doubly after that between Eugene Monroe and the Jags and obviously the – the ripple effect that might have across the AFC, but that's an interesting move filling that left tackle spot for the Ravens. Yeah, that is a big deal. I wonder, you know, I have to, I'm anxious to kind of go and see what happened. You know, I actually talked to Joe Flacco this morning, and so we must, I only had about oh, 10 well, minutes with him. Well, look at you, Ryan Van Viver, going all big school. And, and <laughs> I like all Peter King on name dropping. Well, let me tell you, the, the circumstances was that if we were he's pitching McDonald's wings, so... <laughs> There you go. Well, that, that's much more consistent with the Ryan Van Viver. I was going to say, old school Tershaw times. We, yeah, we knew somebody who was on the Rams in the 1970s. The only question in my mind was like, wings at McDonald's? Really? You eat wings at McDonald's, man? I mean, this is McNugget place. Well, Van, here's the thing. They're wings. Nobody ever said anything about chicken wings. They're just wings. Like, when was the last time you ever seen a gopher with wings? There's a reason that they didn't clip off all of them gopher wings and sent them to McDonald's. So, no, but it is what it is, man. But you were saying you were talking to Joe Flacco. What's up? Did I interrupt that? Uh, no, I, just, I didn't really. You know, it wasn't. You know, he talked about a little bit about the, the pressure that they'd seen against Buffalo's defense in that loss this week. And I talked to him about the five interception game. And he knows kind of what that's like to go through that. I mean, how do you go from, you know, you, you won the Super Bowl. What you know, eight months ago, and 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 that you know you're throwing five interceptions and losing to the Bills and EJ Manuel. What's that? What's that? What is that kind of life? But I, you know, I that's a pretty good move for them. I mean, Baltimore's that kind of place where like you can take a guy like that and probably turn him into, you know, a a solid player. Or yeah, you know, or, or he's Rolando McClain, and you know, he doesn't quite it doesn't quite pan out. Sure. It was interesting, I think, because they brought in Ricky Wagner through the draft, and then they've got all these other guys, you know, Colecchio, Samele, Gino Gregkowski, Marshall Yanda, and Michael Ower on the offensive line. And I guess this is to replace Brian McKinney, but, you know, that looks like a team that's kind of, you know, restacked after, you know, dealing with the offensive coordinator shift early last year, and then, you know, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed's storylines going to the Super Bowl and the championship and all that's that. Right. But, it looks like they they're doing a decent job at kind of yeah, transitioning. Yeah, if, if only they had somebody to catch passes. Years. I mean, it'd be you know if they yeah. could find somebody yeah, to sure. replace Pitta and Bolden, they'd be much better off. But it's a uh, we'll see what happens. Well, you know, man, they have a certain they have a certain tight end on the back end of that roster, Billy Badjama, who may be just just ready <laughs> to step into the limelight. This may be Billy Badjama's <laughs> one shining. <laughs> You never know. Maybe it's finally Billy Badgerman's time. I, th- I think we do know, and this is not Billy Badgerman's time. Van, 
It's the end of the show. It's ten about ten twenty. We need to wrap this up. As we used to do every time on Church Radio, we would look at the college slate moving forward and understandably for the Rams at one and three, I'm about ninety percent done. So for everybody who's on Churchill's time staff that wants to go look at the big boards. I've got a big board for the tackles. I've got a big board for the guards. I've got a big board for the centers. And I've got a composite big board for all offensive linemen, all in one chunky post. And I know that's the kind of thing that Ryan Van Bibber loves is having good, fresh content up on Churchill Times. Van, what is what is something, you know, obviously I'm biased because I watch too much college football, but for, from an NFL Rams perspective, what are some NFL drafts kind of lessons that maybe you've learned throughout this early 2013 season? So far, I mean, I, you know, it, it's uh, it's an interesting year for the draft. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't quite watched as much. It's, it's, it takes me a little while to get caught up on college football because, you know, the season gets off to such a – it's such a jarring start to go from off-season to, to 18-hour Sunday football fest. So, you know – Well, you, there's nothing wrong with that. To, I don't think you're alone in that. No, not at all. So I'm sort of catching up. I mean, I'm not having to sleep all day on Saturdays right now. I sort of rest up. So it's a – I don't know. You know, I look at it from a Rams perspective. I, You know, you can point to that. It was funny. What was in, in July and August we were talking about how, well, it's time to really just start kind of going in there and getting depth for these positions. And now it's like, well, yeah, not only do we need depth, we probably need some starters too. Quarterbacks yeah, in the conversation because Finnegan's obviously – you know, that's probably not a tenable tenable guy to keep on the roster at his price. You gotta start thinking about when was the last time the Rams have outside of Roger Saffold, who's probably gone this year as a free agent, the Rams have you know, when was the last um offensive lineman they've drafted and developed? Hopefully Barrett Jones is, is steps into that role next year, but then you gotta replace probably Scott Wells too. So you know, the Rams really yeah. have to do some work on that offensive line and they've gotta find some talented players. Not just in the first round they got to pull some of those guys out of the later rounds, too, and find that, you know, you know, a guy that can kind of come in and be a good starting guard in the NFL, but you don't have to go and get necessarily look for your chance Warmack in, in the top ten picks every year. So you got that, obviously, running backs in need. I mean, I know that's not something you and I are, are fond of in the first round, but obviously you got to start thinking about, you know, you've got to find a viable running back if Zach Stacey's not ever going to get a chance you got to start thinking about, man, I just, you know, you name it. They need it. Quarterback, I mean, whether they stick with Bradford or not, you got to start thinking about it. you got to start thinking about a replacement, a backup plan, and you got to look for that guy in the draft. That's not Kellen Clemens, you know. That's not somebody you're going to sign off somebody else's practice squad. So if, there's a lot to think about. This is a really – this is a big year for the draft. I mean, I think you go back for what Snead and – and this administration has done, and they've done a good job, I think, from the personnel side, for the most part so far. I mean, you're starting to see now where maybe there's some weak links and all that. But, um, you know, it's relatively easy to trade away the second overall pick when you've got a quarterback that is, you know, you still are kind of sitting on some potential with him in the beginning of 2012. It's easy to trade away and get all those picks. Now you got to do something with those picks, and now you got to come into this third year where you've got the last, morsels of the RG3 trade. And you've got to do something with that. You've got to do something big to set the team up now. You can't just – this isn't just about finding, you know <laughs> – uh, this is a big deal now. And this is sort of like they got to really hit a home run in this draft to get this team where it's on the same level that Seattle and San Francisco are. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid laughing and throwing up. So let me just recap. Quarterback, offensive playmaker – 
cornerback, <laughs> and safety. offensive line, offensive line and safety. What the hell? What what have we done the last thing? I thought that was I thought that was the whole thing three years ago was quarterback, offensive line, safety, and offensive playmaker. But yeah, I mean it is what it is, man. We've had a good talent again. Yeah, seems like a lot of those things are fighting in this, but. I'll give you a couple names to throw out there, um, and I will, I guess, tease some of my big boards. So I got everybody would guess. Man, I'll give you one guess. I know you're not a college guy, but I'd be surprised if you don't get this number one on my offensive tackle board. Jake Llewellyn. Yeah, I, I did not put Taylor Llewellyn. I had Jake Matthews, Matthews from Texas A&M. Matthews, but obviously, Matthews. would be first. Matthews A&M. I knew that would be an easy one for you, but number two – and this is kind no, of no, it wasn't too easy, but I couldn't fuck it up. Well, yeah, it's a, he's got a name, and anytime <laughs> somebody has a name, that's putting you in a difficult position. I don't. We need. Uh, there's got to be a condition for this because there's a guy I work with that can't do names either. I, I work with somebody named Amelia. He's called her Emily for the last year and a half. I work with somebody <laughs> named Shauna. He's called her Shanice. This guy, he's got the same condition that you do. I don't know what it is. I'm gonna call it name of Tiger. It's this, is why, this is why I was a bad bachelor because I've I've <laughs> used the wrong name more than once hitting on women in in my youthful days. So that's really I'm uh, still surprised you know. that you you've never called him Brad Sanford. I'm still surprised we've never gone there. Um, but I, I will offer this for our VIPs who are still stuck with us for Church Show Radio, entering close to the 90th minute. My number two on my tackle board, Cameron Irving from Florida State, a name not a lot of people have heard. Yeah. But one that you can get in this weekend, Maryland, who has now crept up to number 25, is heading to Seminole Country and facing facing Florida State on ESPN at noon on Saturday. So that's my suggestion for your early Saturday viewing. And, look, Florida State's stacked with talent. they got it up and down the roster. Uh, And it's not just old guys. It's not just young. It's all across offense and defense. And, look, if you're talking about running backs, you need to get James Wilder, not only because he's a phenomenal running back, but, and I'm sure Vane is chomping at the bit for this, he is full of off-field incidents, the kind that not only make it enjoyable to cover, but enjoyable to read about. He's He's got issues. He's got issues, man. He's one of those guys that it's it's not the kind of issues that you and I scoff at, like, yeah, a dude smoked weed, or yeah, a guy got in a bar fight. This is the kind of dude that is constantly getting in stuff that off the field is going to threaten, not, not necessarily his career, but it's going to be one of those things where coaches have to put a little rider in their contract or, you know, assign, hire somebody at that 50,000, 60,000 level just to, to watch them every weekend. Oh, man. And I, I hope if the Rams draft a guy like that, I just hope, I pray, I pray <laughs> that he's on Facebook and Instagram and Vine and Twitter and he's active <laughs> on that stuff. And he's and he is as, above and beyond all strip club ready. I was about to say, I, I will guarantee that James Wilder, just, the fact that he's not even in the NFL, screw it. He is already strip club ready. Um, I'll, give, I'll give you a midday game to go ahead and watch. That's Georgia-Tennessee, and that is stacked with offensive line. So we talked about offensive line with Cameron Irving. Go ahead, and at 3.30, number six, Georgia, is at Tennessee. It's probably going to be a pretty easy game for Georgia. Overall, they're a much better team, largely because they got quarterback play from Aaron Murray, who I had number one overall in my mock. But if you're looking for offensive line talent, they're stacked on both sides. Tennessee's got Antonio Richardson at left tackle and Jawan James at right tackle. They've got guards in Zach Fulton, uh, 
uh, they got a center in James Stone. All four of those guys I can see being gone relatively early. So you're, you're talking about an offensive line that's like, and even for Georgia, they may not have the top of the the, the position players, but Canarius Gates is a player worth watching at left tackle. Um, you've got uh, oh, what's his name, um, Chris Burnett, Chris Burnett, a right guard for Georgia, phenomenal player. And, and so you you got players on both teams along the line that's going to be important to watch for Rams fans. I think tracking throughout the season. As the Rams have shown the last two years, they're not averse to taking uh, alignment from the SEC. Not at all, not at all. It seems to be the one thing they can do right in the draft. Even when oh, hey, hey, come on now. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, hey, even when it's Rakevius Watkins, it may not be right, but it feels so right that it can't be wrong. Um <laughs> If, if you're going for late games, there's, it's not a great late slate. you got games like uh, LSU-Mississippi State for your uh, SEC fix. Oregon's going to have a walk at Colorado. That could be a 70-point win, uh, Oregon at Colorado. So if you're, if you're interested in seeing blowouts, I'm not necessarily into that. But if you're interested in seeing that, go ahead, Oregon at Colorado. Uh, TCU-Oklahoma, Arkansas-Florida, Ole Miss-Auburn. You got Kentucky, South Carolina. All those SEC games later are going to be a bit of a mess. Arizona State and Notre Dame might be one that uh, Rams fans want to get in, but I'll throw I'll throw Brandon Burkhead, our old friend, the bone, and I'll go Big Ten with Ohio State and Northwestern over Washington, Stanford, the pack matchup. Uh, again, you can lean on offensive lines for this as well between Ohio State and Northwestern. Uh, Jack Newhart, the left tackle for Ohio State, is going to come in at 12th on my board. Um, between the two of them, they've got about five linemen uh, up and down. They're going to make all boards all told. Uh, Northwestern's got Brandon Vatable, the center, who's going to come in at six. So you've got enough offensive line talent, and, and that's just offensive line alone. If you look around the roster, uh, especially for Ohio State, understandably, there's going to be plenty of players that the Rams fans should get a look in, but uh, maybe most importantly is the Urban Meyer storyline because that's just fun, man. It's fun to watch Urban Meyer go to work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's fun because he does things the right way every single Saturday, and then in between, everybody wonders what kind of mafia he is running. And it's not to offend. I know we have a lot of Ohio State fans (laughs) that follow Tarshall Times, and look, they certainly have a good team, but uh, you go back to his time at Florida and what he's done at Ohio State. When they play football, they're phenomenal. When they're not playing football, you're wondering how – this kind of an organization exists legally in the United States of America. <laughs> That's pretty much Urban Meyer in a nutshell. It is, and it's fun. But I, I think maybe this is where we transition from the college game to kind of the outro, man. Yeah, think about the college to, to NFL and looking at the coaching staff. I'm, I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts. Now, Brian Schottenheimer hasn't uh, had the kind of sophomore season as an offense coordinator that I would guess most Rams fans were hoping for. But, you know, there, 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 was, a, there was a 2012 season where there was some hope, and certainly I don't think Rams fans wanted to see him go. Um, you know, you, you had some consistency for Sam Bradford, something that he hasn't had. But if he is a go, what, where do you think this storyline goes? Do the Rams kind of sit at the NFL ranks, or do they get crazy maybe and bring in somebody like Dana Holgerson uh, talking about the head coaching position? Obviously, the University of Southern California 
has an opening, and I know that's something that, that's been addressed with our own head coach. How do you feel about the coaching staff and kind of the storylines that interplay across the NFL and even into the co- uh, the college ranks this offseason? Well, it's interesting because you brought you man. Obviously, the 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 one that jumps off the page is Fisher in USC. Obviously, it's probably you know not something you should wager any money on actually happening because you know it's not. I mean, it's a prestigious job. Don't get me wrong, to coach at USC. But if Jeff Fisher has ever wanted to coach in college football, I mean, USC would definitely be one of the top college football coaching jobs out there, no doubt about it. But if he wanted to coach college football, he already would have been done. He's coached, you know, he's, he's never, you know, coached anything but the NFL. I mean, since coming to the NFL as a player, he's an NFL. He's on the fucking competition committee. He's an NFL guy through sure. and through. He's not going to go to USC. Yeah. You know what's, what's funny with Schottenheimer, as we talked about before the season, oh, my God, how much have things have changed in three to four months. But we talked about in the off season, like, you know, if he has a really big year with his offense, like, you know, it looked like at one time they could do, he could, you know, would was likely, you know, to get a head coaching job somewhere else. Don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, uh, Tim Walton, I don't know if Tim Walton's going to make it much longer if the defense keeps playing like that. That's the one unit where there's just really no excuse for for the for the crappy level of play we've seen. So it's uh it's uh you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this coaching staff. But you know, I think if the struggles really continue into the season it'll be a test for Fisher because Fisher's always been a pretty loyal guy with his assistants and stuff like that and sure. you know, they they walked away from Greg Williams and, and you look at what Greg Williams has done with the Tennessee defense. A Tennessee defense that was, you know, like the franchise worst Last year, now you know is is one of the top units in the NFL through the first four weeks of the season. Uh, with Greg Williams kind of uh, fresh off of his uh, Colonel Kurtz tour of Southeast Asia, and then <laughs> and Rob Ryan in New Orleans too. It's just it's you know you look at well, that's that's a team that I myself included just was like no way I'll write them off because that defense is terrible and they've had everybody injured and damn if they aren't a pretty good defense through four weeks of the season. And the Rams aren't, and the Rams should be a top-ten defense, even if they took a few steps back this year because, like, you know, the safety position or, or the Dunbar suspension for the first four games of the season. But that's a, that's a huge, 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 huge disappointment right now. I do like the fact that we snuck in a Joseph Conrad reference right at the end. <laughs> a little Colonel Kurt, a little, you know, segue kind of almost to a – Coppola and a little apocalypse now just to bring I think maybe Kershaw Times over the course of its history has had more nineteen seventies and nineteen or early nineteen eighties pop culture references than any community on SB Nation. I'll throw that out there without having any facts to back it up. Van it's been a fun show, man. I'm glad that we had you back on, brother. It brings back it brings back memories. It's always good. It's got you can always go home, man. I feel a little sniffly, but it's good that it's, it's ironic that we had you on right as the Jags are, are trading Eugene Monroe over to the Ravens, and obviously it's going to have an impact on Sunday. And already we're seeing on Twitter calls for if the Rams are interested in MJD and what that means moving forward for the Jaguars. So plenty of football left. I know I know it's one and three. I, I know we're one and three, and I know it looks bad, but the Rams are going to win more than one game this season. It's just That's hard to get too crazy. It's hard to see where or how it's going to happen, but it is going to happen. So stick with us at Tertial Times, man. More fun to come. We dropped the power rank in summary today. Obviously, Van's going to help carry the torch for all the breaking news. We'll have more tomorrow. 
Um, I'll try to get that offensive line big board, smorgasbord up tomorrow. It's really four big boards smashed into one. It's kind of a kind of a smash into one single post of offensive line big board looking ahead to the 2014 NFL draft. But as always, you know what it is when it's Tershow Times and Tershow Radio with your boy 3K and Van Ram. We got to do it like old school Van. What it do? Go Rams. Go Rams, man. You got, you're going to play us out with some Rams? Here we go. You already know, Van. You're not going to ask. Go Rams, guys. Go Rams.
But I've got a brain And stopping me is like stopping a train I'm Carl Lee, the general of the D I make the calls, I'm the coach in LB This motorcycle hit has got style and class If you come my way, I'll knock you on your ass The name's intimidating The pass of my way, I'll see you later The quicker on my team, the ladies agree Before they know it, they'll ram it with me The Iceman Kimmer, the roar is the name I cover the corner, there's steps in my game Score more than anybody else on the D Cause I move like a cat as you will see The guys call me tickets that are dick son I lead the ranges, I'm the ram top gun They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be Even sweetness than the others are talking about me I like to dance and have a lot of fun When it comes to ladies, wanna bring anyone But enough about me, we'll hit a ram it, you see If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night You're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. <laughs>